All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Bourbon Showdown Podcast. My name's Jesse Jones, and on the show this week, we have Mark McLaughlin from Old Line Spirits, baby. That's right. Him and I sit down and talk about his time in the Navy, flying EA-6B Prowlers, and how after more than a decade of flying off of aircraft carriers and being stationed all over the world, he and Old Line co-founder and friend from the Navy, Arch, decided it was time to get into whiskey. We talk about their journey from the Navy to Old Line Spirits, the trials and tribulations of starting a distillery, and then of course we talk about that delicious single malt whiskey they're making right now. It's a damn good conversation. We want to thank him for coming on to the show, for sharing his story with us. It's just freaking badass to hear about somebody that's done everything that he's done, and then also starting a whiskey label on top of it. It's impressive, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. And you know what else you're really going to enjoy? Our sponsors. You like that? You like that seamless transition there? Our sponsors for this week's episode at Engrave.com. That's E-N-G-R-V-D.com. Customized experiences and gifts from personalized one-of-a-kind gifts to unique customized corporate promotional items. Engraved has what you need. I met the guys from Engraved when I was needing some new Glencairn glasses with the Bourbon Showdown logo on them. And wow, if they didn't just create for me some of the best glens I've ever had. And guess what? Just for being a listener of the Bourbon Showdown, they are going to give you 10% off your next order. What was that? 10% off your next order. Anything you want, 10% off. Can't say it enough. Just use the promo code Jesse Jones or Bourbon Showdown at checkout and get 10% off your order. It's that easy. And you know what else? It's free shipping all day, every day. So you go to engrave.com for all your custom engraving needs. You'll be happy that you did. And now, without further ado, let's get this show started, shall we? I want to thank Mark from Old Line for coming on to the show and sharing his story with us. I want to thank all the veterans out there everywhere for their service and the commitment and sacrifices they've made to our country so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we have. I want to thank them. I want to thank him. And let's get this show started right now, shall we? It's Mark McLaughlin. It's Old Line Spirits. It's the Bourbon Showdown. My name's Jesse Jones. Let's start uh, the show. We are here today with Mark McLaughlin. He is Old Line Spirits, one of the founders out of uh, Maryland, correct? Yep. Fantastic. And uh, welcome to the show, sir. Very happy to have you on. Thanks, Jesse. I'm I'm glad to be here. Uh, I hope my voice keeps up with us for this entire interview. I've, I've been on the road recently myself. Uh, I know how you, I know, you know how it goes when you're out there trying to spread the word and I've been, let's see, uh, Winston Salem Thursday, Wilmington, North Carolina, Friday, Charleston, South Carolina, Saturday, and now speaking with the man from old line spirits on Monday. So life is good when every day has whiskey in it. You know what I mean? Agreed. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me uh, you are uh, a Navy vet. That's correct. That yeah, that's correct. Uh, both me and uh, my business partner, co-founder Arch Watkins, are both Navy vets. Uh, um, so uh, yeah, we we met actually on active duty 
Uh, we were naval flight officers. So the, uh, if you think of Goose and Top Gun, the guy with the weapon system, the navigator, uh, we were that on a plane called a Prowler, EA-6B Prowler. It's a kind of a blunt-nosed carrier-based jet that then uh, we transitioned into what's called a Growler, which is a version of the, uh, the F-18 Super Hornet. I only got a couple of flights in that, but Arch had you know, a lot more time than I did in that. So yeah, that's our background. That's how we met and became friends. And uh, really, you know, from there, uh, you know, we, we both ended up moving to the Baltimore area after we got off of uh, active duty, you know, me for a career in finance and my wife's from this area, him for an engineering career. And uh, just so happened for our neighbors, we live three doors down from each other in Baltimore. Uh, and, you know, long story short, I'm sure we'll get into this a little more, but we decided in 2014 that, you know, whiskey was the way we wanted to go. And here we are. That's wild. So you went from Navy to finance and engineering to whiskey. You went from exciting to not so exciting, right back to exciting. Exactly. Yeah, it was, um, you know, I think Arch, I know that he enjoyed being an engineer and I'm sure he was a very good one. Um, so he wasn't dissatisfied per se. Uh, he was just kind of, I think the idea of, you know, having our own business and starting the story was more appealing than what he was doing. Uh, for me, I was, I was very dissatisfied. Um, you know, I worked with good people. Uh, the company was good, nothing wrong with it. It just investment banking was not a good fit for me. I did it for two years and uh, it just wasn't scratching any itch that I had. So uh, I'm glad I did it. I learned a lot, um, but I'm very, very glad that I'm, I'm doing this now. Well, there's no scenario where you can put danger zone in the background of your day in finance and make as much sense <laughs> As it did when you were in the in in the in the plane. That's right, one hundred percent. That's a good. That's a good way to put it. That is a very funny visual, though. You sitting there doing paperwork with a uh, freaking danger zone <laughs> playing. <laughs> and I probably did at one point. You know, it was <laughs> a long so so uh, where were did, now? Let's go back a little bit to the Navy. Uh, where were you guys stationed? Like like when. Could you were were you stationed together or or were you stationed like uh, parallel to like like what was the story? Yeah, so uh, so Arch was a couple of years ahead of me in the Navy. So that's what um, I thought. Yeah, he, he maybe two or three. So um, so yes, we were stationed generally in the same places, but not always at the same time. There was no overlap. So we both did flight school down in Pensacola, um, and then we both the Prowler, the plane that we flew, was almost entirely anchored in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, you would you would deploy all over the world and go, you know, Iraq, Afghanistan, and all these places. But that was at the home port was was kind of one base called Bibby Island. Uh, so we were at there at the same time, but we didn't really know each other that well, um, a little bit. And then uh, he got out of the service a couple of years before I did to go to the reserves, and then I followed, you know, a couple of years later. And we just so happened to be in the same reserve squadron um, out of Andrews Air Force Base. It was a Navy squadron on Andrews Air Force Base, and that's where we became buddies. With where we were started flying together. Uh, you know, again, living close to one another. So that's kind of where we, everything kind of caught up and we were on the same kind of synced up. That's wild. So you guys were running parallel for a while, knew of each other, but didn't know each other super well. And, exactly. and then when you got out, was the play, like you became neighbors. Was that, uh, was that orchestrated or was that uh, again by coincidence? It, uh, it's in between. So uh, believe it or not, in this town, in the city of Baltimore, I never thought I'd live in Baltimore. You know, I'm from Boston originally. And, you know, before I moved here, I would have called you crazy if you said I was going to live here. I thought yeah. it was like, and, that know, is not an easy transition. I, when you say Boston, uh, uh, Baltimore yeah. is literally the opposite of Boston. 
Yeah, it kind of is. And um, in some way, you know, in some ways, it's got a lot of what Boston used to have when I was a kid, you know, really neighborhood and things like that, which Boston still has in some places. But right. uh, a lot of them have kind of been gentrified into something different. Um, so, but, uh, my sister-in-law, uh, my wife's sister, uh, was married to a guy that Arch and I flew with. That's how I met my wife in the first place. So oh, wow. they moved to Baltimore for career reasons. Um, and then Arch moves here for the reasons I told you about. And another friend of ours moved here for similar reasons. And those guys all lived in the same neighborhood called Butcher's Hill here in Baltimore. So when my wife and I came to move here, we already knew the neighborhood. We loved it. And so we found a house here. So it, yeah, kind of. We, you know, it's nice when you have built-in friends already. Um, so it's, we kind of just congregated together. That's awesome. So like you, you organically kind of orchestrated it where you all uh, yeah. had a built-in friend group and that's, yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah. It wasn't like a, uh, what do I call it? Uh, it wasn't like a really rigid plan, but we certainly coalesced that way. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Uh, when we moved to New York, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, uh, when we went up to the city, uh, our friend had been called up by a bank like February of the same year we moved to New York. And then like, we didn't move there because he was there, but it was definitely helpful when we got there to know somebody. So I, I definitely feel where you're, where you're coming from. Uh, when you get to a new place, having a built-in friend group makes it a lot easier, a transition. Agreed. Agreed. So you are there, you're doing something that you're not really digging uh, was it, was it one of those scenarios where you guys are tying one on at like midnight and you're, you're like, Hey, you know what we should do? Or, or was it more uh, romantic than that? Where it's just like, what would be the thing that makes us happy? Uh, you know, I'd say it was again, somewhere in between. I mean, definitely the time went on, uh, you're, you're more, more right than you know, is that, and this will tie into answering your question, but when I was, you know, I drink more often now than I did at the bank in a weirder times, but it might be I'll sample whiskeys at 11 in the morning and right. sit and then, or, or we'll have a cocktail at two, but then have tea after that for the rest of the night, whatever it is. Yep. I, it's, it's worked its way into my life in a much more organic way. And that it's just kind of something I can do anytime. But when I was at the bank, I was so unhappy. If I got back to the house before 11 or 1130, I was pounding three or four beers, you know, before bed. And it was right. four beers is a huge deal. When it's 1130 to one, you're putting four beers down. Like something's not quite right. You sit there by yourself in the, in the living room. So I was, that was, I was a way of just kind of, you know, breaking away from the job I didn't like. Whereas here, it's much more of just I, something I like to do. And I work it into my day and it's part of my job. But so with, as far as your question, uh, yeah, it was a little bit of a, you know, I was clearly unhappy. What do I want to do? I've been thinking about this for years, something like this, but specifically a distillery for at least three to four years. Um, when I was back in grad school in between the Navy and banking, I actually came really close to jumping right into this from the get-go, but I felt like I needed some civilian experience to kind of cut my teeth in the real world, which I think was good. Um, so yeah, it was always there. And then Arch was just, you know, part of a lot of those conversations, just kind of, you know, encouraging me. And, and, and then, you know, eventually he's like, Hey, you know, I find this interesting too. And it was a huge relief to know that, you know, there was somebody else out there whom I, whom I respected, whom I trusted, who I liked, uh, that was willing to take, to take this leap with me. And that was, uh, enormously, I, I probably still would have done it, but man, doing it with a friend and a person who trusts made it so much better. Just like leaping into a new city. It, it, it's a little bit, uh, the stress is split between two and you've kind of got, a uh, somebody that you you can, ha, will not make army puns the entire time, but somebody you can be in the trenches with. 100%. And, 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 and so much of this, like for me, at least the beginning was a lot of insecurity of like, I just don't know how to run a business. I, how could I? I've never done it. 
So having that person, again, who, again, you know, he doesn't know either, but at least if we're both thinking the same way, it's like, okay, there's probably some logic in our reasoning here. So right. it's very, it was a sounding board. Day. Well, you've, you've touched on a couple things just then. Uh, one, I completely know what you're talking about when you are having a drink at like nine o'clock in the morning, like, like when you're doing it for the reasons we're doing it, it it's more of a, uh, what am I getting here? Uh, like, like, like even when you're doing it for enjoyment, you're doing it at a different level than you were back when you were drinking three beers for no reason. Like you're picking it apart. You're taking the notes that you take and like kind of heightening, like adding those to your palate repertoire and, and just building flavor profiles based on something, uh, for like your tongue library that'll come back later and help you out when you, when you need it. Uh, And that's one of the hardest things to get people to understand when they're like, wait a minute. So you were drinking barrel proof whiskey at nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, But there was a reason Uh, I wanted to, and I was getting paid to. So is the same way you're drinking coffee and enjoying that we're drinking whiskey. We're just, you know, it's part of our, our job now. A hundred percent. Yeah. Agreed. It's a good part of the job. It's a fantastic part of the job. Uh, so now you've gotten, uh, you've gotten Arch on board and you guys, and and again, I think very smart that you recognize that you, you had never started a business before. I talked to so many people that start whiskey companies, whiskey businesses, and all they know is that they like whiskey. Uh, Mm -hmm. there's a very gigantic piece of the, like most of the puzzle is your business side of it. Like, like the whiskey is the fun end result of you got to treat, you got to treat it like you're selling socks. You know what I mean? Like, like, like you're going to have the same problems getting socks into market that you are whiskey only socks probably don't have uh prohibition, yeah. uh, legal <laughs> ties, but, but you know what I mean? Like if you don't know how to produce and you don't know how to sell and you don't know how to get that side of the work done, then you just have good whiskey that nobody's ever going to know about what were the steps you guys took? Like knowing that you two did not uh, have small business backgrounds. What, what did you do to learn what you needed to, to get ready for what would become old line? Great. It's a great question. I would, I would actually answer it. I'd start actually by taking a little step back and why did we feel we could even do this? And there's it's a, it's hmm. a lot of very, very talented driven people who started businesses that don't succeed, right? So why, why should we think that we could do it when others that were equally as capable, if not you know, maybe more capable, didn't? And one of the ways, one of the reasons that we found, uh, at least for me, and I think Arch would probably say the same thing, is that you know, in our Navy experience, we have been forced to, well, a couple of things, forced to redefine ourselves several times, right? So we go from civilian to military officer to aviator, uh, and then become good at that and teach others to do it. And then, you know, for me to go to grad school and become an investment banker, those were you mean night and day to be able to successfully make those several transitions. I think that gave us a lot of confidence. I know it gave us a lot of confidence to say, Hey, you know, I've successfully redefined myself a couple of times here. I think I can do it again. Right. Um, and the other thing is that the Navy is really good, especially amongst the officer corps, but I think in general, the Navy is really good. Probably all the military is putting people uh, in situations where, you know, they're, they, they, they expect you to rise to the level of the occasion. So, you know, it's not like mm-hmm. you're groomed completely for a uh, promotion or the next job and say, okay, now you're hundred percent ready go do it. You're probably put in there before you feel ready and you're expected to, to do it, you know, sink or swim. And, and most people uh, who've gotten that far uh, swim, right? They make it work. And it's, you kind of learn how to jump into that role that you really don't know and, and, and figure it out. So all those 
kind of led to us feeling, while it was still scary uh, in a lot of ways, and still, you know, we didn't know for sure what would work, although deep down we did, it just, you know, we had that knowledge of, hey, this could, this could all go nowhere. Um, so we knew we needed, you know, additionally, we needed support. So a number of things we did was, you know, we took on investors, right? Most of the investors were guys we used to fly with. So great guys, um, you know, the intelligent people, but they mostly didn't have business experience. One of the uh, bankers that I used to work with, a guy named Scott Cousineau, uh, whom I respected, still respect very much. He a good name. Great name. Yeah, that's right. And uh, he's, a, he's a wonderful guy and, um, and very smart. And he's got a great finance background. So we asked when he invested, we asked him to be on the board of directors because we said, hey, you know, you have a perspective that, that we would just really, really appreciate. And he said, yes. So taking on the right investors that had skill sets that were complementary uh, to mm-hmm. what we had was a big thing. And then really a lot of it is, as I'm sure you know, just get, get your, jump in, do it, get beat up, do it yep. the right way a little better next time. And We've made a million mistakes, but ideally we don't make them more than once. That's right. Learn. And uh, I like what you said a moment ago, how you're put in and expected to succeed. Uh, One of my good friends is Army and he he's now been in long enough that he teaches night like he teaches you how to work at night, like how to function in zero visibility and stuff like that. And he was telling me last week how um, somebody came up to him and said that you haven't taught me this yet. And he told them, I've not taught you how to do exactly what I'm asking you to do, but I've given you the foundation for what we're trying to accomplish. So you won't learn it if you don't apply it. I'm not going to show you step by step. I'm going to teach you the foundation and let you go out there and figure it out. I couldn't say it for myself. Agreed. What a a cool freaking uh, mentality to instill in somebody because you're right. When someone like yourself gets out and you see another uh, daunting task ahead of you, you rely on yourself and you figure it out. It's, it's a great thing to have instilled in you. Oh, it's, it's, it's an enormous gift. I mean, <clears throat> you know, you hear people say things like, thank you for your service. And I appreciate that certainly. Um, but really, I mean, and I mean this with utmost sincerity, I got so much more out of it than I, I mean, I, it's, not only did I love it, I love the people. I was paid fairly. I got to fly planes and That's I awesome. came out of this having learned and been given so much more than I ever contributed um, that it's just, yeah, it, it was amazing. That's fantastic. It's, it's always so good to hear that too. My wife's brother, he is a diving instructor in Hawaii, I believe. <laughs> like he is the guy that uh, teaches you how to go down to the bottom and stay at the bottom and all the stuff that's a little more intense than like mixed gas stuff and all that crazy stuff. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, we've always been very appreciative of, of all uh, you know, every part of the military in in the house. So uh, that's fantastic to hear that you had such a good experience. Absolutely. So now you've got your infrastructure sort of in place. You've got your people, you've got your investors where do you go to learn how to distill? Like, like it's, it's, you got everything in place. What's the next step? Well, everything except the business. Right. 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 <laughs> but the, uh, so for us, then the next step was, I mean, if you looked up serendipity, um, in the dictionary, you'd probably find this and that. So I, I put in my notice at the, at the bank, uh, realized that, you know, that's, was, I'd done two years, you know, gave the college try, still, you know, wasn't for me on day one, wasn't for me on day 730, whatever the hell. <laughs> so, you know, I put my, no- my notice in and said, you know, thanks. Thanks for the bruises. I'm out of here. And right. um, I was going to a wedding in Seattle, uh, out near where I was stationed. A Navy buddy mine was getting married. I was the best man. So, of course, you know, I'm going. And I happened to uh, think about, well, hey, I want to start a distillery. 
Seattle has a lot of breweries. Maybe they have distilleries too, because that's right. kind of, was, you know, so I literally Googled you know, Seattle distillery, just thinking I would find a couple that I would go in and shake hands and just say hi. And like, right. a great relationship. And the per- person that pops up in my Google search is the American Distilling Institute uh, is having their annual conference in Seattle that week. So I'm going to the weddings on a Saturday. The conference is like Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever the hell it is. Um, so I'm like, all right, well, I might as well go out a couple of days early and attend this thing. So that's what I did. And for those of you not familiar, ADI is really, it's designed as a, to, as a organization to encourage the grassroots growth of the craft or whatever term you want to use, the you know, smaller size spirits distilling in America. So they really are encouraging a lot of new entrants and being supportive. And so you think with that in mind, I show up not knowing, all I know is I like whiskey and I think I can try to do this. So I knew that I knew nothing, that my level of knowledge was down at the bottom. So I showed up with that expectation that I was going to be behind everybody else. And after a day at that conference, I realized I was even lower than I thought. I mean, I was just, I knew nothing. Um, and so I'm sitting there on a couch in this convention center hotel lobby area, checking my email, my phone, um, feeling self-pity. Like I had a job a few days ago. I had healthcare, you know, a very supportive wife and kids, but wife and kids at home. And I was just starting to think like, Hey, was I a bit rash on this decision? And right, right. Have I have I jumped too quickly? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hundred percent. You know, it was all kind of sinking in. And uh, and next to me <laughs> popped down a gentleman in his seventies named Bob Stilnovich, and just starts chatting me up. And you know, I really didn't want to talk to him. I was in a bad mood. I was in self pity mode. And uh, but he's a nice guy. I'm not an asshole. So I said, Hey, how you doing, sir? We start chatting, and he asked my story, and I say, Hey, you know, former Navy guy. You know, I was banker for a bit. Uh, and now I'm looking to, you know, start a distillery in Baltimore. And he said, uh, oh, yeah, it's an army Vietnam vet, blah, blah, blah. Well, hey, I'm selling my distillery. You want to buy it? I was like, holy smokes. You know, so having been a banker five days prior, I'm thinking, okay, I'm thinking this thing's a big business. I'm like, who's your banker? Who's your attorney? How many offers do you have? He goes, whoa, 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 slow down. You're the first guy I've told. So he drove down from 90 minutes north of Seattle, where his distillery was based, and was called um, Samish Island, Washington, or Bo, Washington, Drove down because his business partner slash friend slash neighbor, uh, Jim Caudill, uh, was terminally ill. So this business they started together had gone from being a fun retirement business and a fun hobby uh, to being uh, something that was just, you know, it was a, very hard for one guy to do by himself at that age. Uh, sure. it, it, as strong and capable as Bob is, he's still 72, 73, whatever he was. And then they also, I, I assume part of it was trying to, you know, get Jim's affairs squared away for his oh. wife and kids. So all those right. things. They were looking to pass the torch on this thing they had built in love. They didn't want to just sell the assets. They wanted it to go on. Right. Uh, so and when he walked, he drove down to that conference, knowing he'd find a lot of guys in my situation looking to start. And I am literally, as he tells it, he walks in and says, I'll talk to that guy. Yeah. And old, you know, a few weeks later, go out and visit, uh, make whiskey with him for a couple of days, just fell in love with the products. Uh, as a person, he's just one of the finest people I've ever met. Um, and said, Hey, I think I want to do this. And, and Arch and I uh, eventually said, Hey, let's, let's do it together. And we scraped together enough money over the next year from friends and family to have enough to meet Bob's, you know, the number he wanted and, uh, flew out there lived in his guest house, made whiskey with them and then eventually bought the business. So that's, it's, a, oh. it's, an, it's an apprenticeship period that is really rare. You don't see a lot of these opportunities in distilling, which mm-hmm. I didn't appreciate at first. And I was in grad school. I mentioned, I was thinking about this a little bit earlier too, and before I actually did it. And I reached out to a distillery and said, hey, I'd love to come work for you this summer. Instead of going to Wall Street, like I'm going to, I'll just tell them, no, thanks. I'll come work for you for free. Right. I'm offering, hey, free labor. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. And I, now I know sitting in my shoes, that's a big ask of somebody to train, right? To train somebody. So they very politely said, no, you know, 
you should go to your banking thing. Uh, this is thank no you, work. no thank you. Thank you, no, and they did, couldn't have been nicer. Uh, it's a place called Reservoir Distillery in Richmond. They couldn't have been kinder <laughs> and, and more supportive, but they just said, listen, this is just not, for each of us, probably better to do something different. And uh, so I didn't realize how, how hard these uh, abilities to apprentice would be fine. And this one just fell on our lap and it was amazing. And and so you go to, it was Golden Distillery, right? Golden Distillery, yep. And so you go and you apprentice with him for a, I was only there a year? for about, I was, oh no, it was, it was a lot less than that. I was only there for like five, six weeks. Arch was there for three, four months. Um, and if you... Uh, you know, when you make it out here this way, eventually you should see the still we were working on. It was a 60 gallon pot still. It was the simplest piece of equipment you can imagine. So really the, to get to the point where we could operate the equipment in the manner in which Bob had done it and he could train us to do that. So we could right. take his process and apply it step one to step last. That didn't take all that long. Doesn't mean we were by any means, you know, master distillers or experts, but to, to be able to recreate his process because his system was so small and simple, uh, we were able to accurately do that uh, or uh, effectively do that pretty quickly. Um, and what happened for us next, essentially, um, is that when we bought the business, we located it back to Baltimore. We thought we'd be open. We had a place set, you know, look, that we had looked at to have our distillery. We thought we'd be open within three to six months, which in high was crazy, but um, <laughs> life took over and, and leases fell through and all, you know, all these things happened that, that delayed us. So we were, we were starting to bottle the product with, with a partner in Ohio called Middle West Spirits. We had started to bottle. Love them, by the way, friends, of, awesome. friends of the show. Products they make as people, they're great. All the way around. Oh yeah, 100% agree. They couldn't be better partners to us. So they were, we were bottling with them. So we're, we're starting to sell product and deplete it in the Maryland market, but we're not able to get up and running because of these delays in our facility. So Middle West uh, was willing to actually let us make our whiskey with them on their equipment. That's uh, freaking phenomenal. And honestly, such yeah. a, uh, such a cost saving slash benefit to you guys, because now you are partnered up with some guys that are just top of the fricking line when it comes to production. Agreed. They're, 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 their pedigree is phenomenal. Uh, you know, Ryan Lang who runs a place is, I mean, he just, he just so impressive. His staff, these guys, I mean, so what we, we had learned from Bob was, you know, learning whiskey to make, to make whiskey from Bob was kind of like your grandmother teaching you to make a cake. It's like, okay, right. here's step one, two, three. And if you do it all this way, you're going to get a good product. And that's great. That worked for Bob. I mean, he made a great product. But when we went to scale it up, the guys in the middle of us were very, you know, they basically said, hey, guys, you know, what you have here is a great whiskey, but here's how we think we can improve it uh, and make it much more efficient and all these things. They helped us take that that amazing thing that Bob had given us, Bob and Jim had given us, and actually professionalize it and make it more economical and scalable. Um, so now, I mean, wow, Jerry goes out there uh, once a year. We, we produce out there once a year still. Uh, we can do 900 gallons a day out there. We can do 30 gallons a day here. So. You know, Jerry produces whiskey weekly here, you know, you know all the time. Uh, we do more of our specialty stuff here as far as distillation. And then, you know, goes out there and oversees uh, our, our production out there. And that's just been an amazing thing. And it's our, our grain, our yeast, um, you know, so it's, it's really, truly our product that we make with them. And, and how did you get hooked up with Ryan and Brady? Like, how did that come about? So one of our board members, uh, a guy named Richard Wolf, I don't know if you've encountered that name, uh, great, great, great guy, a former Marine, as it turns out, one of the ways we connected. Uh, and he uh, he actually spent a decent number of years at uh, Buffalo Trace Sazerac as uh, ultimately, I think he was uh, he was uh, head of operations at Buffalo Trace. And so he, he, he knows everybody. He's, you know, been in Kentucky forever and he knows everybody. And he knew. I love it. 
uh, he knew Ryan. And so when we were in this situation where we needed some guy, Richard said, hey, guys, you know, instead of banging your head against the wall and living and living and dying by when that distillery in Baltimore opens. Yeah, keep pushing on that. But why don't you talk to these guys? And it was just That's, it was, oh. yeah, it was a great introduction. Uh, and yeah, it, it's the rest is history. Don't you love the synergy of the industry? Oh, 100 uh, percent. And, and people are just generally speaking, I mean, good people. I mean, like yeah. you know, we don't yeah. a lot of the uh, and in the beer world, sometimes people, the big boys can treat the little guys a little bit aggressively. Right. That way. Uh, you know, we're all competing, but I attribute the culture of distilling to both Kentucky and Scotland being these places have been doing it for so long that, you know, if we're family, I work at, you know, wild Turkey and you work at, you know, somewhere over at head and Hill, like we're cousins or like I married your sister or whatever it is. Like you just, this whole connection where people don't really seem out to get you, Um, you but they're not, I don't think they really, I think they're, they're all kind of like, Hey, this, it's it's a genuine thing. And honestly, in a lot of the Kentucky circles, yes, they are literally, um, related like yeah. like so many of the big families uh to you know they're all you go back and it's like the, then the dance married and then that happened and yeah all the things uh that took that down to our level i think as far as you know uh they're you know you go to kentucky you say i'm a distiller from baltimore and people treat you with genuine welcome and kindness and that it just kind of you know so i think we're what most of us try to do is kind of keep that going you know pay that forward well, they understand you're trying to help the industry. Like uh, it's gone through hardships that almost put it under uh, in multiple, multiple timeframes. So anybody that's wanting to help elevate the industry, I have found they generally let them and they, they, they want to, they want you to succeed because the more people, the more eyes you bring to whiskey in Maryland, there's room for everybody on the shelf. So mm-hmm. if you get people drinking yours, then, wow, I didn't even know I liked whiskey. What else is out there? You oh, helped them great. just by introducing new folks to whiskey. Agreed. You know, it's funny. We uh, to take that to, you know, not to say the next level, but to kind of illustrate that a little further is a couple of things we do here. And so in Baltimore, there's four distilleries. There's Old Line, uh, Baltimore Spirits Company, yep. uh, one called Lothan, L-O-U-T-H-A. And they're, they're very small. They deliberately just kind of it's a father and daughter. They're great people. They keep you know, keep it pretty small. That's what they want. And then Sagamore Spirit Rye Distillery. And we're all friends. And when people come here, we highly encourage them to visit the other distilleries because first of all, they're our friends. Second of all, we're all offering something different. You go to, you know, Sagamore, for example, it's it's going to be a Kentucky uh, bourbon trail quality experience. Probably beautiful on the water and here it's a little bit more intimate you know you probably meet one of the owners and maybe have a conversation with us all and they're both great for their own reasons so we encourage and vice versa people to check all of them out uh and then we actually like to invite other uh, distilleries here we have a thing called we call the whiskey roundup and we do it uh usually three times a year we don't do it in the winter uh for and the warehouse is cold and we want to use the warehouse for it so we do it three quarters a year where we pick a theme whether it's maryland whiskeys or american single malts or you know whatever it might be, single malt of the world. And we invite other brands to come in and showcase their products to our customers at a ticketed event. And what we get out of it is interesting content to share with people who support us. Uh, and what they, what they get is access to a very captive, you know, target audience. And it's, it's been great. Like it's a win all around. Like why not invite these guys in? Uh, I love it. Yeah. It's an, it's an event. It grows everybody's palate. It grows everybody's knowledge base yep. and there's good whiskey at the core of it. Yeah. And I get to try stuff I haven't tried before. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, bring, the, bring, bring the good stuff boys. That's yeah. right. That's right. They're not coming to bring their low game. They're coming, they're bringing their a game when they come. 
Agreed. So that's one thing I really wanted to talk to you about the landscape as it was when you started and you went with you went straight American single malt whiskey. What was the thought process? Because it could have been very easy for you to go bourbon or go uh, with with something. uh, I mean, American single malt whiskey, you are ahead of the curve in terms of it is an up and coming spirit. And it is uh, on the like it we're, we're in it right now, I guess you're seeing really, really, really good uh, American single malt come out. But back when you started, that would have not been the case. Agreed. So, uh, yes, I wish I could say that we had the foresight to see this as the opportunity that it truly is. Um, honestly, Bob and Jim had that foresight. Those guys, when I first met Bob and said, hey, I'm selling my distillery, you want to buy it. And then, you know, a little later, I went to his website. I'm like, well, where's the bourbon? Where's the rice? I just see this small whiskey. Right. American single malt. Who drinks that? <laughs> and I was bummed out. You know, and that, that same board member, Richard, I told you about, uh, we'd already, we already knew Richard. And we said, uh, hey, Richard, you know, I don't know. It's a great opportunity, but American single malt. And he almost like shook it by the shoulders. Like, guys, like you, this ground floor, ground floor. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, You're ahead of the curve here. So then our kind of eyes focused a bit. And we said, okay, yeah, this is great. And it, it's been so we set out to make bourbon and rye, and then within days, we're doing malt. And um, but that, again, your training, you were you know how to pivot. You know yeah, not sure, to let yeah, it. Yeah. We were yeah. able to take that. You know, we didn't want to be so foresighted with the blinders on. This is the only direction. So we were able to uh, see the opportunity for what we thought it was, which is turning out to be uh, yeah. And, and like you said, pivot. And it was um, it, you know it's been a, it's been a double edged sword. Like one of the really we're really starting to reap the benefits of being in that category because like you said, the category is getting more recognition. All of us are making better whiskey every year. So uh, like you said earlier, the, the big guys want us to do well and to make good whiskey because it elevates the category even further. We right. want, you know, I, I want every American single malt whiskey out there to be, to be good. Are they all good? Of course. I'm sure. Who knows? There's a lot of people making them now, but the ones that, you know, certainly the ones that we know well, you know, Westland, Westward, Balcones, um, uh, Del Bach, uh, Cedar Ridge, Cedar Ridge out of Iowa. Absolutely. Uh, there's one out of, uh, Santa Fe, uh, spirits, there's Cole Keegan and uh, Virginia distilling company. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing some. I apologize to those I've missed, but we love that these guys are doing great things because what the last thing we want is someone to go drink product a or product, whatever, and say, Oh, that's what American single is all about. No, we like them right. to go try Virginia distilling company and be like, Holy smokes, this is really good. That makes them hopefully open to trying another one. That's right. That's right. Uh, so that's uh, so at any rate, uh, I got a bit off track there, but um, it, w- it would have been I know that our sales in the first five years, if we had been making bourbon and or rye would be higher. Like Because if you think about it this way, the way I look at a consumer's interaction with us uh, at a store, for example, you know, if there's a 500 people, I'll just make up a number that walk into Jesse's Liquors uh, on a Saturday, busy Saturday. I'm extremely lucky if one person shows up. If what drove them to the store is that they need American single, most likely zero, maybe one. Right. Uh, if they're for bourbon or rye or wine or, or vodka. Uh, vodka or a canned cocktail or whatever the hell it is they're there for, beer. Um, so something has to happen in that engagement for them to want to include old line or American single malt in that purchase, right? So that's a challenge, right? And people aren't yep. showing up with that on at the front of their mind. So if, you know, doing bourbon or rye, I think we would have had easier success in the early years. But again, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. The fact that we're in this category, that we're lucky to be one of the, one of the earliest adopters, not the earliest, but one of the earliest adopters. I think that uh, 
the, the double-edged sword. We're, we're, we're starting to get the good side of it now. Of course. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, time is on your side. Yeah. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> and I've been sitting here nosing this for the past 25 minutes. It yeah. smells fantastic. It's uh, a good nose, yeah. Before we dive in, uh, maybe give people a, a, a brief synopsis of American single malt. Uh, a, a lot of people are becoming more familiar with the distilling process, but again, uh, as the whiskeys go, they may not know exactly what distinctions make it uh, an American single malt. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, and I tend to maybe go a little long. So, if I'm just give me like oh, no, 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 over something, or give me the little signal, and I'll go nope. fast. I, 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 I love it. There's no scenario where you're going to talk too much right. about how okay. you make this. Well, uh, well, thank you. So, uh, so American single malt. So, right now, I'll start with the fact that, as I'm sure you know, Jesse, it isn't even officially a category yet. So, um, so what we are officially uh, classified as uh, from a, from a federal government perspective is a malt whiskey. Right. Uh, which those of you who you know, I'm sure many of you uh, watching this will know the definition of bourbon, uh, and in that definition is that the, the grain bill has to be at least fifty one percent. Uh, corn. If you were to say what's the definition of a malt, American malt whiskey, just take out the word corn and put the word malted barley in, and that gives you a basic, you know, American malt whiskey. So, you know, we could be making something that has rye and corn and wheat in it if we wanted, and call it a malt whiskey. Now, single malt, as far as something produced in America, is soon to be defined. What we, as a category, have done uh, that. You know, uh, some of the founders of the category uh, pulled together something called the American Single Malt Whiskey Commission, and the idea was to proactively. Uh, have the government define it in a certain way, which I was actually against at first thinking, hey, if we're not regulated, but we're regulated, if we're not defined too heavily, why invite that? And the counterpoint that Arch made, and I think is the way the rest of the industry thinks, I think it's now I think it's right, is the government's going to define it no matter what. So why as well tee it up the way we think it's best, right? So right, right. You bring it up to say what what should an American single malt be? So I'll best to have control of the narrative versus letting somebody that may see spirits all in one way define it for you 100 or somebody or somebody who just you know some employee gtb you know it's just kind of like okay all right no one's done this yet so i'll say boom 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 and then you know undoing that i'm sure yeah. Like, yeah, so, yeah 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 yeah. now so, you're jumping through hoops trying to get it set okay. to the right thing so what we're trying to do is a category so what the definition uh you know there's seven or seven or eight layers of definition the ones that are most uh, important in my opinion are the only to be an american single malt whiskey just like a scotch single malt the only grain that we use is 100 malted barley Yep. So um, that's, you know, even though we are defined right now for the next few weeks until this changes as a malt whiskey, uh, we and the rest of the category have been already adhering to this standard. So when you see American single malt, it's going to be an except malt of barley. We're already. You're you know, already doing it. Right. You're going to standard anyway. Right. Uh, right. It can be uh, it can be distilled in either a pot and or column still. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be distilled in the USA. Uh, it's going to be distilled only at one distillery. Now, for us, we produce in two locations. As long as we don't marry barrels together from Maryland and Ohio, you know, we're in compliance. That's good. Oh, that's uh, interesting. And it can be aged in virgin oak or used oak. Whereas, right. you know, in contrast to, you know, bourbon, obviously bourbon's got corn in the mash bill. Uh, bourbon has to be aged in, in virgin oak, so we have the ability to do it either way. And, and to differentiate it from scotch, aside from not being made in Scotland, um, there's no minimum age statement. Uh, scotch to be a whiskey has to be at least three years old, usually longer. Um, American single malt, just like a bourbon or American rye, could be aged a day. It probably would right, taste right. good. You know, and I'll come back to why we think that's a good thing. Um, and then uh, Scotland, now they can use, use virgin oak in Scotland, but it's very rare. 
they use almost all use uh, second, third use barrels uh, because they don't grow a lot of oak there anymore. So they import barrels from America and Spain and France and places like that. So all that is to say that where the category fits is right between bourbon and scotch, but that's a wide, wide, wide area. Just think of the scotch category alone, how how varied, uh, like a Highland, non like a Bel- uh, no, sorry, uh, a, uh, a Glen Morangy, uh, you know, their, their flagship malt, you know, light, fruity, mm-hmm. not smoky at all. And then take a Octomore or something. Uh, and a Lafroig, And it's just, it's, it's rich, it's smoky, it's deep. You know, so they're just they're in the same category. They're just miles away, which is wonderful. Right, so right. Trying to be in the middle of those two. And what you'll find, I think, is that you have American single wall companies. But like us, we're, we're embracing very much the American style. Um, whereas you have some, and I put, I don't want to speak for them, but I put, uh, Virginia Distilling Company and Santa Fe Spirits, they're, they're kind of adopting a little more of the old world style uh, and they're doing it wonderfully. Uh, a little bit more used barrel aging and things like that. But for us at Old Mine, we, what we're trying to do is simply put, uh, uh, basically tap into bourbon drinkers who don't right. think that they like malt whiskey. And we found that uh, a lot of them have either misconceptions about even scotch single malts, like, hey, they're all smoky. Well, no, they're not. Um, and but also the, the you know we age everything in number four char virgin oak uh in which i think you'll see here when you try this uh is I, really you can fun. smell it in the nose 100%. like you can get you get that toasted barrel I, I that was wanting to ask you that because it comes through in the nose almost right away it's bourbon i always say bourbon in the nose and then the malt comes for me the malt comes on the palate um but that would so, make sense so you're doing a you're you're doing a uh what level char you said four Number four char. Uh, sometimes Beautiful. we do a couple number threes, but it's almost all number four char. <sighs> and uh, and this one here is this is barrel strength, as you know. This is a hundred. Well, the one I'm drinking right now, it changes batch to batch. Mine one twenty four point four. I'm not sure what bottle you got. There we go. One twenty four point four. Yeah, we're from the same batch. Um, and I think, I mean, not that I mind heat, but I think that the heat is much lower than the number. I think this drink's like a one ten. Um, I love it. I love yeah. it. It's all, always proof of a good whiskey when you can drink something that's over 120 and have the best compliment you can give it is that it drinks like a 110. Yeah, I, I, well, I appreciate that. And, I, I, and we hear that all the time. And one thing, that's one question we can't answer is we hear all the time, hey, your stuff drinks lower than the number would suggest. And how, what, why is that? And honestly, I don't, I don't have, maybe, maybe, maybe Arch does. That. I don't have a good answer. I, I, I think we make a great whiskey and we adhere to high standards, uh, but so don't a lot of people. And um, I, I don't know what the magic is on why it drinks so easy, but, you know, sometimes you just got to press the apple button and go with it. Well, oftentimes people that are doing it the right way at, with the right care to the tools used, you'll get a result similar to what you're describing. So don't sell yourself short. You guys are doing it the right way and, and it's coming out good. So uh, the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. The, uh, but thank you. And, uh, and as far as the malt goes, you know, one one thing that we're doing, uh, well, so we have two types of malt, which you know, some people get surprised because the word single and single malt can be very confusing. Right. Um, and a lot of people, you know, say, wait, you use more than one type of malted barley. How can it be a single malt? Well, a lot of companies use several types of malt, as long as it's all barley and it's all malted, you know, that meets a requirement. Uh, the single comes from one distillery, as, as you probably know. Um, so we use uh, 87%, give or take, 87% of what we use is a very commonly used um, grain, both in whiskey and beer making, called a, a two-row, uh, premium two-row malt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, third, the gap, the 12 or 13% that we use is a crystal malt, which for any brewers watching or listening, 
um, you know, they, they're familiar that that's going to be as the grain was malted at the malt house and they dried it out, they dried it out at a higher temperature and it kind of caramelized the sugar. So the best way I can describe it to someone not sitting here with me would be, you know, before we we mill the grain and, and put it into our mash tun, if you were to take a bite of the Copeland Tubro, it would taste like grape nut cereal. It's the closest thing I can describe. It's, you know, pleasant, grainy, mildly sweet, but um, but not tremendously sweet because there's still a lot of starch that hasn't been converted to sugar yet. Right. Yeah. The C120 to me tastes like raisin bran flakes. Uh, really? So, oh yeah, it's delicious, and it just it to me that and that dark chocolate uh, roasted character really really comes through in the whiskey. Oh man, okay, okay. So uh, <laughs> let, let's 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 drink it now while we continue talking about how it's yes. made because I'm sitting there as soon as you started talking about the characteristics of that malt, I'm all on it. So over to you. Cheers. Uh, uh, cheers. Well, the nose is definitely you get that malted barley, you get almost the um, you get almost that like uh, 1950s chocolate malt off the nose. But there's a beautiful toasted sugar combined with that malt, which is just a wonderful right off the bat. Like it's very inviting off the nose. It does not nose like a 124.4. It noses like. If you stick your snout down in there, you can get ethanol if you go deep, but that's with any whiskey. Agreed. You were getting a a, a sweet freaking it does. It noses like bourbon. It, oh, it, uh, agreed. And that's what that, we want. That toast comes through, and it's only when you I've had this sitting now for 45 minutes. So when it's opened up some, you are getting a hint of the malt, but it is primarily a toasted uh, sugar nose. And uh, now I am going in. Cheers, sir. Cheers. I, 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 I beat you to it. I've been sipping it for minutes. Mm. Man, that's good. It's a good malt. Thank oh, you. Oh, man. I'm glad you like it. It does. Oh, oh, I love the. Okay. The palate's great. I really enjoy that freaking malt's coming through, but it's coming through kind of, it's a subtle release. So you're, oh, it's like a slow burn. Oh, and then it just keeps, it keeps unfolding. Keep, keep like, going. I'm still going now. I, it I, just I, keeps I, working I, the room. Yeah. yeah. And then it's, you uh, really get a malt bomb right at the end of it, like right at the back of your, uh, right at the back of your palate. And I love when I breathe out. You know, it just, yes. kind, of, it just yes. kind, of, it kind of keeps it uh, that kind of long tail. You know, I, I call it a medium finish. Uh, you know, maybe it would be considered a long. I don't know. For me, it's medium. But right now, I mean, so I'm still I'm still getting it. I'm still and, getting and it. Seconds, yeah, uh, I, I, I dig a, a, a burn that that matches the palette. I, I, I think that there should be I, every palette's different. Every everybody's what they like is different. I like to know I'm drinking whiskey. I don't, I don't want it to just like um, go away. I, I want there to be a little bit of the burn and I love the burn on this. Like the burn matches the flavor that you're getting on the palate and it somehow keeps that finish going. And Oh yes. Like we've, we've been talking about this two or three minutes now. It is still there. Yeah. There are still hints of that malty goodness right there. It's almost in the middle of the palate now. Oh, the, and the uh, beauty is that was my first sip. Second sip is going to have 
your 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 tongue is based now yeah. and you you can get all of the essentials off i made up a word right there you can get all of the uh heightening from what you had the first time now that your tongue's sort of relaxed and ready yeah. for it relax and you're dialed in a little bit and uh, yeah. the uh you know as you're doing that i said there's certain whiskeys and i won't name any names but there's some very high quality whiskeys that i think are great um there's one japanese whiskey that i, I really enjoy but the finish is so short that i just i want it to be longer you know Man, I, yeah. this is perfect for this time of year, too. Like, now that it's starting to get a little colder, yeah. all I want to do is sit outside with a bottle of this and a gigantic cigar. I do one thing with this that some people don't like to do, but I uh, I, I certainly will do it. Is I'll take uh, the smallest, I mean, a small ice cube. Um, if I'm at a restaurant or that carries us, for example, you know, they say you want the big cube. Hey, big cubes, they're great. I, I like them for cocktails more. But just give me the smallest cube you got, just a little bit. And I know some people don't like cubes, and I understand why. But for me, I dig it. Just that, you know, just uh, I like watching the evolution as ice melts and just, you know, taking it back from the edge there a little bit. And I think that this, even with the ice, you know, tends to the coldness will close it a little bit, but the water will open it. The uh, the opening up that this will do with just a little bit of water is, is pretty wild. I was going to say uh, at the beginning, you had told me to put a little bit of water in it right after we have our first sip. So yeah. I've put just a drop just like a couple drops in it, yeah. just enough to open it up a little. It's, I am, I'm impressed. I really am. Like this is, it's, it's a very good uh, American single malt. It is, it's, it's very good. Did, I, thank you. Um, you know, one thing that I love about this whiskey, which, and this is going to be, again, as I always do, I kind of go on different, different levels of our different directions. But one thing that I find, uh, and again, this is just my palate, but one thing I find is when I proof it down a little, I stick my finger in my water glass and put a few drops in. And one thing that comes out to me is a, a, a more of a, like a, think of a stone fruit, like almost like nectarine sometimes. Uh, sometimes it'll be more of a dark cherry. I've heard chocolate covered cherry, but the nectarine mm -hmm. for me someday and today is one of those days that really um, that flavor comes out. And I think that as we, right now, what we're drinking came out of a 30 gallon barrel for about four to five years. Okay. And we're actually moving into, you know, most of our barrels are traditional 53 ASBs. Uh, and we're about to roll out kind of our, our forever profile, which is going to be very, very similar to this, but, you know, just a little bit different because it's going to have a different barrel, a different size barrel. And that, uh, some of those more subtle malt characters are just a little bit more prevalent. So as, as much as this is absolutely amazing and i love it i think it's going to even take a step better uh from here it is oh i, I definitely i get the dark cherry uh is is what i'm getting today uh you just want more of it like it's 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 in, it's very inviting it it drinks well below its proof uh that's what you know art session says that he says uh what he described it really well he said that the finish on our product leaves you wanting another sip which i think is a, the most apt way to put it well and it's, it's a it's a wonderful compliment because there's enough going on in the glass that you don't really figure out all of it with the first pour sure and and the the finish though it, it keeps creeping back up on you and i mean that in the best way where your dice and, and again everybody's palate may not get the different notes of uh, of malted barley but when you've been drinking it long enough you can definitely see those it comes and goes and you definitely get notes of of different things the longer it sits with you okay. and it's very enjoyable like it is it is a very good sit there and nose it sit there and drink it sit there and just sit with it 
whiskey. Well, I appreciate that. It's uh, we are very very proud of it. And and one one thing actually with this, I think that <clears throat> I mean a lot of whiskeys respond well to barrel finishing. I think this one in particular responds extremely well. So as we do. You know, some barrel finishes have moved beyond the experimentation stage for us, like our Oloroso Sherry. That's that's gonna, you know, it's not a, always available, but it's something that we are always doing and releasing. At, you know, every year. Uh, I think Connie Port, Madeira, all those things that have that rich fruit kind of character just respond so well to this. Even things that I didn't think would. Uh, so one, uh, we did a Sauterne finish, which I wasn't really certain about, um, and Arch was a little more, you know, confident in it, and he was right. Like we did those. And, you know, I was a little bit like, okay, it's kind of, you know, Sauternes can be a little bit, you know, um, what's what I'm looking for, like, uh, not watermelon, but um, uh, honeydew melon, it can be a little bit acidic. And I'm like, right. I'm not sure. Acidic. It, just, it was killer. It was killer. So this, this baseline kind of uh, palette, uh, palette in the kind of art sense or, um, or flavor profile for these finishes, you know, are they all slam dunks? Of course not. But man. More often than not, these finishes work really, really well with this baseline flavor. Well, I mean, if you don't experiment, you'll never grow, you know? Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it's been, it's been fun. So what we have been, you know, handed by Bob and Jim and then since, you know, made our own, um, it, it, we couldn't be more happy with it. Well, it's, it's very, very good. You should be very happy with it. Uh, the, for the future, do you have plans to play with some other possible, uh, some other, like peat, are you, you, you any any possibilities of working with a little bit of peat in there? So, absolutely, your your timing is 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 uncanny. So we so we do uh, produce some peated whiskey here. So I mentioned earlier that we do uh, we produce here every week, and that's going to be primarily uh, two products. One will be our peated whiskey. One will be what ultimately will go to be bottled and bond, mm. uh, because you know we have it, it just of course to requirements of bottle and bond it's easier for us to do it here in our under our own roof um so um but it's a it's a 300 gallon still here so we're doing 30 gallons to run so uh mm. like i mentioned earlier that's still we're focusing on the specialty distillation here in the in, right. in this and the peated uh we uh we just did a we what they call the development program but let me see if i that's not within reach here i had a bottle i thought i did but um what we do is we'll take things that are uh in process that are very, very, there are products that we intend to release in the future that were you know, coming along, but they're not quite at finished stage yet. Um, and we want to, but we want to give our fans a, an early look. So we'll release a 200 milliliter uh, glass kind of flask and it's got yeah, a little sneak data. peek. All the sneak peek has got all the, all the data that the whiskey nerds want in the back of, you know, type of malt, you know, uh, barrel entry proof, exit proof, you know, all these things that, that people really want to know who are really into whiskey. And then there's also a QR code. So we encourage people to hit that QR code uh, and give us feedback because, you know, we want to see, hey, this is coming along. How do we get feedback from you? And are we going to incorporate every bit? Of course not. But we, we get data that's very relevant. We can say, hey, you know, here's the general feedback we're getting on the, on the peated or whatever. So we did a, a peated release uh, a, a development program on Thursday night. Um, that and, is brilliant. So that's, it's only three years old. It's the 30-gallon barrel. Like I said, it's, it's in development, so it's not necessarily ready to release yet. But we're able to say, hey, here's where, here's where it's going. What do y'all think? And that's been uh, it's been very well received. What a what a smart organic way to do user testing research. Agreed. It's 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 and one hundred percent. Thank you. And uh, and one thing we realized that hey, the people buying this are generally more often than not going to be fans of old line, but that's still relevant data because we can say hey, you know, each in our in our, uh, in our data collection, you know, let's just say the question is hey, based on what you tasted when this product is released in final form, would you be 
you know, a, a five point would be, hey, so I will buy this right now. The, right. the it's released, okay, it's a five. Okay, this is something that is okay, maybe I buy it, that might be a three, whatever it might be. So we could say, you know, numerically, we can take all this data and put it into a number that we can say, hey, you know, the ones that really are successful average 4.2 and above, you know, so it's really, we're trying to be very data-driven, uh, but also take that subjective feedback and allow the people that support us to have input. Well, and, and that's the other thing. You're also promoting the brand with letting them try something new. Like it's not just market research. It's also marketing at the same time. Well, hundred percent. It's an, it's, it's kind of a pretty happy way to, yes. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing whiskey people like more than than hearing that they're getting something that's not out yet. So you're giving them the sneak peek. That's also putting them in the cool club in their minds. Or so, something in, in some sense, cases, it could be something that, that might never come out. You know, if we decide, oh yeah, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. this is just not the direction we're going to go. Uh, it could be something that was like, whoa, glad I got a hold of that because that's the only time you're going to get it. <laughs> All right, guys. Sorry. The uh, the Oreo cask that we put this one in that just didn't taste the way we wanted it. to. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> Apparently it sounds like it yeah. sounds like you guys are really doing all the right things. And I cannot stop drinking this. Well, uh, thank, thank you. And then and, and don't keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's it's uh, as you know, I'm, I'm more bourbon. So any time you get to drink something outside of your comfort zone, I always sort of relish in that because it's outside. It's not what your palate's used to. It's a wonderful wake up call. It's a, it's a nice new thing. It's a new toy, so to speak. So thank it, you for sharing. It's, it's, well, it's, uh, thank you. It's the only way to grow your palate is to drink things outside of what you usually drink. And as I get more into American single malt, I've been very fortunate to have people uh, like yourself, uh, get me started down the right path so that as I grow into different brands, I'm finding the good stuff first. Well, I appreciate that. And that's exactly, like I said earlier, you know, as much as we, we love scotch drinkers, you know, we love scotch. Um, and we have certainly have a large number of scotch drinkers who have gotten behind us, but generally speaking, bourbon drinkers tend to be our, our early, earliest adopter uh, for a number of reasons. One, um, less focus on age statement than this average, the average Scotch drinker is going to, you know, Hey, I'm a short bus kind of guy. And okay. That's not necessarily the way we look at American single malt for a couple of reasons, but that's that person's prerogative. Uh, and also that bourbon drinkers, I think tend to be a little more promiscuous and willing to try new things than the right. average Scotch person. I know that's a very broad uh, brush. Well, but, uh, even that's uh, unique to this current boom. Uh, like it wasn't until experimentation proved to be tasty that bourbon drinkers started thinking outside of the box. Fair point. Fair point. And, um, and to where that has led us is that what for old line is a win is, you know, to that exact point, you know, gone are the days or mostly gone are the days where, you know, you or I would say, Hey, I'm a McAllen man. I just drink McAllen 12. Right. You know, like that's right. People, you might have some people who kind of adhere to that still, maybe the older generation, but you know, you and I, have a, a rotation. Uh, yeah, of course, we'll have tons of whiskeys, but I, don't, I can't speak for you, but I would guess you probably have a seven or 10 that might be in that you visit a little more often. It's a and, super hard question to answer when people ask you, why do you what's your favorite? Because you don't oh, really have a favorite. You you got, like, you can't, like, it depends what mood I'm in. You know? yeah, it, perfectly put. That is literally my answer. When people want you to just like break it down to one, be like, no, it's, it's what, what do I feel like today? Mm -hmm. uh, it goes more with your mood than it does what your actual favorite is. 100% agree. And so we could be in that rotation, right? If we could be in that, uh, that mixtape, if you will. Hey, uh, I guess. That's, I, that's our win because what we want is, you know, people like you, bourbon drinkers who love whiskey, 
have your buddy over who doesn't think you'd like some malt and say like, hey man, like that, that, that ability to share with somebody and yes. open their eyes and say, I won't tell you what this is until you try it. And people love that moment of like, what is this? You know, it's just such a fun thing to share. The so we, uh, that's how we try to win. It's just, you know, we're not trying to bump anybody else off the shelf. We're just trying to, you know, find a little spot on the shelf with them and just become part of that rotation. Well, and I'll tell you, I, I uh, do a monthly thing where me and a few of the uh, the whiskey folks of the area will get together and we'll always bring new things that maybe somebody hasn't had that they think they'll enjoy. And I'll tell you, this is coming with me uh, right. when I go next week. Thank you so much. That, that is the, a, a, an enormous compliment and be uh, the biggest kind of best marketing we get is word of mouth from people who really care about whiskey. And I, I can't thank you enough for that. No, of course. Uh, there's a couple people that I can think immediately. I just, I, I can't wait to get their input because it, it hits uh, the box. It hits all the boxes right where it should. And it's got that wonderful hybrid sweetness mixed in with the single malt yeah. goodness. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a very unique, very tasty American single malt. One thing I describe it as uh, you kind of you basically just said it before is, you know, sometimes I'll say, hey, this is delivering all the things a bourbon drinker wants when he or she reach for a bourbon, but just in a very different way. Or almost like this is probably a clumsy example, but like, you know, the DJ booth, they can make certain things. The levers go up and down. It's like it's the same levers. It's just <laughs> some are higher, some are lower. And it just delivers mm -hmm. all those same things, but in a very, very different way, which I think is really why it succeeds. Mm hmm. Man, it's just so good. It's it's so interesting and so much going on in the glass. It's just fun to sit with and and sip. Uh, this time of year, especially, I I started out a Scotch guy when I lived up north. I I I didn't start with bourbon until I got down south, just because uh, hard to drink Laphroaig in a ninety eight degree climate. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, that one. <laughs> but but this sort of hurdles that easily. This does not, it doesn't need to be cold to drink this. Like this, this has that balance to it where it doesn't make you sweat. You, you just kind of get the goodness. I appreciate that. Mm. Well, that is a wonderful freaking product you're putting out. There's more old line spirits. What do you have coming up? Uh, uh, you've got the peated, uh, you've got the, the, what, what else do you have coming coming out that people can be on the lookout for? So the peated will be, uh, that won't be a full release until at least a year from now. Um, uh, and most likely that'll be in, uh, in Maryland, just as we grow the program. Right. Um, the things that you'll start to see, so we're in a limited number of States right now. We're in, you know, Maryland, DC, Delaware, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Colorado. Uh, what you'll start to see, on the shelves in those states are going to be a Oloroso Sherry finish, which uh, we actually just won um, Best American Single Malt Whiskey from Fred Minnick's Ascot Awards for that one a few months. Hey, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it was a really nice accolade to get. We really were enormously happy with that. Um, and then um, next year, you'll start, I mean, there, the distillery will be lots more offer, but as far as in the market, um, our Madeira finish, uh, which is absolutely fantastic, another Fred Minnick favorite. Beautiful, uh, and uh, mostly like our tawny port and pot and our cognac will be here released here as well. Um, just things that we're trying to thread that needle of not release so many that we're all over the map because as a brand, we want to keep things obviously, we want to make sure we're putting out the highest quality we can. Um, if it's not of a certain quality, it won't get released. Um, and then also, uh, you know, it, a brewery can put out new things every two, three months, but or two, three weeks, even if they want to. A distillery is different, so we, we keep it a little more targeted. So, uh, but those are generally the type of things you're going to see. Uh, we're not going to make any bourbon um, 
uh, at all. It's in our, we love bourbon, but it's probably not going to be we're doing. It's not now. Rye, we've got a tiny, 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 I mean, I say tiny bit like a barrel um, for over a beer. I'll tell you why. And, uh, but it's as much as we love rye, it's not our thing. It's that malt is really what we're focusing on. So totally. I mean, you hit it on the head a moment ago. You, you, once you define your product line, everything you add to it, that's outside of what you do. Uh, I, I, I uh, another lifetime ago, I uh, got to work under Mickey Drexler. He was the uh, CEO of J crew and uh, kind of one of those, I think his nickname was the, the merchant prince or something like that. And he said something that, that stuck with me. If you're known for making pants, make the best damn pants out there. Yeah. If you're going to be American single malt, keep doing what you're doing, make some damn good American single malt. And and then let somebody else make bourbon. That's, there's plenty of people doing it. You guys make a delicious freaking whiskey. Lean into that. Thank you. And you agree. There's plenty of other guys doing bourbon, and there and there and plenty of people doing it very very well. And I'm glad they exist. And this is our swim lane, and we're sticking with it. So yeah. Oh, this is what I like doing the show for, Mark. Learning about something new that I've never had before, and then just digging it. So thank you very much for coming on. Uh, thank. I know. Uh, you said you got a lot out of it, but we got a lot out of it as well. So thank you for your service. Uh, it's wonderful to see a veteran owned distillery doing so well. Uh, can people find this anywhere online? Like I know you mentioned the States that you're in, where can people go online to get a bottle of this goodness? Thank you for asking that. Uh, they go to uh, oldlinespirits.com. So O L D L I N E spirits.com. Uh, you can click find a bottle. Uh, and there's a store locator, but there's also uh, a way you can click buy a bottle. And if you put, it'll ask for your state. And if you're not in a state where uh, we can only ship within Maryland, but we do have right. a partner in DC who can ship to most states. So, nice. you, uh, and for example, I don't know, I'll make it up in Jersey. Um, it, you know, if, if, if it can ship to that state, it'll take you to that person's, but that company's website. So there's ways for Perfect. most people in America to get it uh, via that uh, method um, if, if they're interested. So I would certainly encourage uh, people to give it a look if they if they feel so inclined appreciate it rock and roll well you guys heard it go go to the website go find where you can get this in your state or where who where you can get it shipped from online and enjoy the hell out of this freaking american single malt it is damn good whiskey and mark it has been fantastic talking to you i appreciate you coming on the show jesse thank you so much i appreciate the invite and this is uh Absolute pleasure. Great way to spend the Monday afternoon. It's better than whatever I'm doing. So I appreciate it. Completely agree. Uh, I'm up and down the coast all the time doing shows. So if I'm ever in Maryland, I might have to stop in for a pour. Uh, absolutely. You say when we'll be here. <laughs> Rock and roll. All right. Thank you, Mark. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jesse. See you. Take care. There you have it, everybody. That is this week's episode. I want to thank Mark McLaughlin from Old Line Spirits for coming on to the show, for sharing with us the story of how he went from the Navy to whiskey, for all the sacrifices that he made and the rest of our veterans have made so that we can all enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy. I think they're producing a delicious American single malt, and I would recommend everybody go out there and pick yourself up a bottle. As we talked about at the end of the episode, you can go 
to Old Line Spirits. Find them online, and you can track down a bottle of this goodness uh, wherever you're from because you can get it online. You can get it in the store. There's various ways that you can track down this bottle, and I would uh, suggest that you do. It is some tasty freaking stuff that they're doing right now at Old Line. It is a delicious American single malt. I want to thank Mark for his time. It was really just a good conversation. I love it when I can learn something new that I didn't know before. He taught me a few things about American single malts that I didn't know. It was just, it's what this show is for. It's a learning something you didn't know, experiencing a whiskey that maybe you've not had before. I love it when people recommend good things, and this was one of those recommendations. So if you have something that you think is amazing that you would like for us to explore, if there's somebody that's not been on the show that you would like to see on the show, Feel free to hit me up. Find me on Instagram. Find me on any of the places. Jesse Jones Online, bourbonshowdown.com. Send me your recommendations because I love tips like this where you get to try something new. You get to taste something you've never tasted. It leads to damn good conversations, and that's what we're all about here at the Bourbon Showdown. So thank you again, Mark, for coming on the program. Thank you again to all of our veterans. And you guys, come on back next week. We've got more whiskey goodness coming to you. It's the Bourbon Showdown podcast let's raise a glass and kick some ass my name is jesse jones and i'll see you guys on down the road goodbye everybody goodbye